Hey, Groovy Isolators. Hey, one and all. Hooray, hurrah. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proofcast, takes to the ether, this time from the salubrious confines of the basement of the Porpoise of Fruititude, the Velvet Grotto. <laughs> Freddie Hubbard on horn. This is nice. Max Roach on drums. The album's called Drums Unlimited. The song's called Namo, N-O-M-M-O, written by... Jimmy Merritt. Hello, Jennifer. Hello. What a surprise to see you here, down in the purple (laughs) velvet grotto. We don't often meet down here. It's a very exciting room. I only just found out about it. As you know, my wife and I have no secrets from each other. But I've kept this on my own. <laughs> Super tasty. Isn't it? Uh, Jimmy is swirling in the heavens. And, um... He was 93. Yeah, 93. Uh, famously in, in the Jazz Messengers mm-hmm. with Art Blakey, that mm-hmm. outfit that every single person who didn't graduate from the Miles Davis School of Jazz graduated from. Um, and uh, I like this from the from the jazz public radio obituary um, that he was known for his intensely uh, that Art Blakey was known for his intensely locomotive drumming, and that Merritt formed the only constant in the band from the late fifties into the early sixties. Um, Blue Note Records is releasing an unreleased album in August with Blakey and Merritt and Hank Mobley and Lee Morgan. Um, Merritt worked with Chet Baker, toured with Dizzy Gillespie and B.B. King. But Let me get this straight. He was a virtuoso. <laughs> and he wrote this jam. In the obituary, it said his father was friends with George Washington Carver. What? Right? Of course. Do we know where he's from? Philly? Philadelphia. Yeah. 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 But his dad had gone to the Tuskegee Institute. Right. Where Carver was eminent and performing all of his massive experiments. One of the strangest films I can remember seeing is a newsreel of Franklin Delano Roosevelt going to visit George Washington Carver and them shaking hands and him showing him around the laboratory. Hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. When we were little, they doled out black history by the spoonful. And George Washington Carver yes. was one of the first persons you got to know. Yes, you did. Harriet Tubman and George Washington Carver. Yeah, I remember having to do a report on him. Yep. Uh, in 2016, Jimmy Merritt said, Rhythm is very complex because it's the basis on which the entire universe is constructed. All life has a pattern, and once you can tap into that pattern, you tap into all aspects of life. Dig. This one is just fabulous. 1966. I was 34 years old. Namo is a West African term for the power of the spoken word. Really? According to this obituary. Fascinating. What a great jam. Super cool. Of course, he's known for the... Jazz Messenger's album, Monin. Let's uh, let's spin a little of that. I'm going to fade this one down here. If you haven't heard Monin, it's an inconceivably famous uh, song by Art Blakey, and there's a tremendous... I can't control anything I'm operating here, Jennifer. This is just sad. That's exciting. There's a tremendous... <laughs> it is. There's the, the, the lighting in this grotto. I seem to have lost control of the entirety of the Did keyboard you, here. Do you have... A power on. I think I might have just turned the brightness to nothing. Oh, no wonder I couldn't see what I was doing. No, I 
Really? Oh, and series on, too. I love that. I don't know how that happened. That was Namo off uh, Drums Unlimited. And Monin and Art Blakey, there's a great video of The Messengers Live. You'll find it if you go to YouTube and just type in Monin, um, Art Blakey, and the Jazz Messengers. Look at those suits. Oh, they're swank-a-doodle-doo. And it's a, a really uh, famous live show. And um, when Blue Note re-released that giant collection that Don was mm-hmm. oversaw that this was one of the videos they showed, of course. And it's because Art Blakey comes out from behind the drums to announce the song like this. It's a little late to record on I say it Blue Note. That's why Blue Note is nice. Yeah, we can. He said I can say it. <laughs> He said, God knows we need the money. <laughs> That's why I love this intro. They're also elegant, and he says, I sincerely hope you buy this we record. I sincerely hope you enjoy it, ladies and gentlemen. Mom, in this tune also, Then he walks back behind the stand and ascends to the kit so mm-hmm. they can play this what is now a jazz standard. And they're all dressed impeccably, like they're teaching school. Oh, so life and uh, he was 93 years old so we celebrate because we're recording this on Easter and I'm wearing bunny ears down here in the grotto and um you are I am she's Jennifer will attest to it worn them a great deal of the day she rarely doesn't she rarely lies and uh, this is yeah I they're not bilby ears they're not no this is in Australia although we love Australian uh, friends um the bilby is replaced the rabbit in Australia because rabbits are a destructive force in Australia they were brought in uh, by white people years ago and they took over the country you may have heard of the term rabbit proof fence and uh, Australians built zillions of miles of fences to try to keep rabbits from going uh, into, uh, where they weren't wanted which Good was thing they, wombats can't dig well uh, rabbits dig too and uh, <laughs> they, they in fact live in an underground burrow called a warren and um, I think they might have figured that out before they brought them in I remember a wonderful white people joke that I had that when only uh, a fence to stop a rabbit is a, is a white person <laughs> idea we'll put a fence up here they can dig under it yeah well um, uh, that's putting a fence at the border with Mexico despite our thousands of years of uh, high culture our a perfect uh, chronological calendar and our pyramids, we have no knowledge of ladder or shover technology, so fence is sure to baffle and perplex the people of the South. Um, so they have bilbies, which is a little marsupial that vaguely mimics a rabbit. It has giant, weird kangaroo feet and yes. giant ears, and it's really cute. It has this little snout and whatnot. <laughs> what about the other one, though, that your uh, zoologist friend's obsessed with? What's that a one called? Qual? A qual? Is that how yeah, you say it? Qual. And they look more like a kind of a little squirrel meets rat sort of thing. Really cute. Yeah, odd. I don't know how large they are. Some of them are spotted. Yeah. And they're in Tasmania as well. 
So that's a different species of qual. Yeah. And um, please come back. Don't yeah. leave. We're going <laughs> to talk about other things. There's also the greatest animal, um, to my mind, and Australia is brimming with them, but there's the spiny echidna and the numbat, the wombat. The platypus. The platypi. The monotremes, there's only two monotremes, and uh, they lay, they're mammals that lay eggs and have poisonous spurs. <laughs> so it's kind of like being in West Hollywood. Really? Um, and then uh, my favorite animal, though, is called the quokka, and they live on an island off of Perth. And I was in Perth for two days the year before last, and I didn't get out there. It's a quite an... You have to take a ferry out. Mm-hmm. You have to spend the whole day there, and I really didn't We have, went to Perth before that, and, and we didn't, didn't go we out. Didn't go. And it's called Butcher's Island. It has a really no, funny name. Ratnost? Yeah, Rat something island. Yeah. It doesn't mean rat. It's like a, a Dutch word or something. And, anyway, the quokkas live there. And they're forced to take selfies with people relentlessly. Well, people come to the island, and quokkas are small and have the most delightful face of any animal you've ever seen. They act like they're in a Warner Brothers cartoon opening. And they go, <laughs> like that. And they, they, if you look it up, it's Q-U-O-K-K-A, of course, because it's Australia. There's two Ks. Um and wow, they are the cutest animal in the world. Quokkas, you will laugh your patukas off. Yeah, apparently they're they're uh, waiting for an animator to come by at any moment. Right. To document their d- adorable lifestyle. Oh my God, they're so cute. Let's cut to Jimmy here on the bass solo. Whoop. Oh, that's not quite Jimmy. I'm really on top of this today. <laughs> Here we go. Here's our Jimmy. This is what heaven gets to enjoy right now. Since we're on the music tip, let's talk a little bit about Hal Wilner. Mm-hmm. Hal Wilner, um, how do you describe him? Uh, Maven? Uh, producer. Producer. A, a, a person with an amazingly eclectic resume. He did all the sketch music for Saturday Night Live, which is how every story opens about him. But it's kind of the thing I don't but care about th- the most. That's how... I, the way I, I found out about him was he did those wonderful compilation tribute albums. Yeah, he kind of invented uh, putting a bunch of hip people together in a really weird uh, milieu. Like, they take a classical composer or one that did cabaret and an opera like Kurt, Kurt Vile, yeah, uh, and then um, had William Burroughs, Elvis Costello, Charlie Hayden, P.J. Harvey, Lee Reed, Marianne Faithful, why not? There's a Disney compilation from the late 80s called Stay Awake, and I think my old roommate might have had it in the 80s because I remember listening to it on CD. <laughs> um, that was a big thing in 1988, and um, that one the- had uh, people covering all the songs from all the Disney movies, which was fantastic. You mind if I spin one here? No, this not is at all. Dumbo, which is really a weird movie. Um, and uh, our very good friend Danny Elfman did the score to the remake. However, this is from the '40s. And uh, Sun Ra, how do you describe Sun Ra? He, he, his gig was he told people he was from another planet and that they had come to Earth to As deliver. As you do. And that his band was called the Arkestra, with an A R K as in mm-hmm. Noah's Arkestra. Mm-hmm. And this is their version of Pink Elephants on Parade, and it's just. Oh, 
It's one of the more psychedelic Disney sequences. It's like um, Fantasia. It's pure music and sound, you know. If you go on YouTube, you can find it, and it's really good. They kind of hip up the Disney version a little. Yeah. The singing. <laughs> it's clearly the whole band. <laughs> To get Sun Ra to do a song from Dumbo is so brilliant. Right, is that a phone call? Or is that a... Yeah, you I bring think, it up over lunch for dinner. One, how does that one happen? How do you convince the orchestra to play a movie from the 40s that, let's just say the sensibilities aren't that highly developed in Dumbo? Yeah. Um, Let's spin this one because it's Nino really Rota good. What about his Nino Rota tribute album? Oh, I don't have anything teed up, but it's oh, an awesome oh, idea. You've got the I got, Kurt Vile. I got the Kurt Vile one teed up. Um, Marianne Faithful. I love that one. I had that one. Is currently, uh, yeah, you did. We used to listen to it at your crib in the mission. Uh, Marianne Faithful is currently suffering from um, the virus, and so we wish her a speedy recovery. Um, she's led a very, um, how do you say it, adventurous life, <laughs> and um, including being... Um, with Mick Jagger in the 60s, including being starring on the West End and in motion pictures, Mm -hmm. uh, writing her own book about her life. Um, Which is going to be made into a movie. And then after a career as a chanteuse, a kind of a winsome chanteuse in the 60s, has had this fabulous career as kind of a cabaret artist. You may remember in the movie Thelma and Louise, which stars mostly Gina Davis, um, that uh, uh, they use a ballad of Lucy Jordan, that song mm-hmm. by Shel Silverstein. And um, I, of course, um, because I, I don't want the audience to ever understand anything I'm doing, used to do a joke in the 80s in San Francisco because we went and saw Marianne Faithful at the at Slim's, my God, a which is closing. Uh, Boss Gags owned a club in San Francisco with a bunch of other gourmands. And um, yes, Boss Gags, the blue, Boss Gags was a blues artist before he was a disco artist. And he... So he's had a lot of different careers. And he's such a hip guy that he owned two places in San Francisco. But his venue had all the groovy musicians they had. I saw Bootsy there. We saw Bowie there in the it morning was, it one was time. A, it was a nice and in, intimate size. Wasn't it great? It, mm-hmm. was, it wasn't big. Mm-hmm. It was about, what, three, 500, 300? 300. 300 it was smallish. It was like a comedy club size, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. And we snuck in one morning because um, the radio station I was affiliated with Live 105, home of the cure. Boys don't cry. When they would do the top 500 new wave songs of all time, it was always Boys always. Don't Cry by the cure. And then um, number three would be, um, um, Hey, hey, night fights die. The stroll for the donkeys and the guilty ones can all hang slow. It was always those ones. And all the world is football shape. So we went there at six in the morning, maybe. No, it couldn't possibly. It was have been early. That early. It was a breakfast show. It was early for us, so I'm guessing eight. Maybe. And um, can can I tell the story about George? Yes. So we go to. It was David Bowie with um, uh, Reeves. Is his name? Mm-hmm. I blanked on his name. Uh, he was a, he was a guitar player from Tin Machine, and this was uh, after Tin Machine. But Bowie was still kind of not doing a lot of oldies at that point. This was nineties, so 
we went to see him in the morning and uh, he looked really good and he, he threw the audience this hilarious smile that was such a high wattage. The crowd was literally vibrating with excitement to see David Bowie play acoustically with one other guy and sit up there and smoke cigarettes. Right. Reeves yeah, Gabrels, uh, who's a lovely fellow, and I've had occasion to meet him after that. And um, he's an awesome guitar player. And he had the um, fun of being with Bowie for a few years in his career and doing a bunch of stuff with him, and including this morning. And Bowie spoke in a hilarious I Peter Cook voice. I think that Reeves voice. is now with The Cure. Right, Reeves is with The Cure now. Coincidentally. And we saw Robert Smith on a plane uh, last year wearing... Uh, Shorts and tennis shoes and full goth hair. He, he was wearing the, the goth sporty attire. Yeah, he looked like Ch- if Charlie Brown had gone goth. <laughs> it, it, you know, the, the little shorty pants and the thing. And then the hair was like totally, uh, you know, Friday, I'm in love. Tuesday, I'm in love again. Thursday, I don't know the words. It's Friday, I'm in love. Um, the Cure is awesome. <laughs> and uh, so we went in the morning. David Boy smoked cigarettes. And he talked like Peter Cook's character, E.L. Wistie. He would go, and now I would love to do a song for you called I'm Afraid of Americans. He was doing this weird <laughs> voice. And so we sat really close. We didn't get to meet him. There's no big ending on this one, sadly. No, we met Reeves it, later. It was it was a, a very small collection of people. And it was sort of like Breakfast with Bowie. Oh, so much. And when Breakfast with Bowie in those days was him smoking Marlboro lights in your face. <laughs> the whole show. That was it. He did about a half hour, 45 minutes, and he just smoked a pack of cigarettes, basically. And, and it was, he had great hair. Oh, and, and teeth. Whatever teeth he had done were so good. Because he did this head toss. and yeah, threw there us were newish like teeth. A, yeah, everybody went, <gasps> when he did it, like he was like, hey, everybody. And it was just really <laughs> awesome. And that was the venue, uh, Slim's, that we saw Marianne Faithful in. Mm-hmm. So it was a really small crowd for Marianne Faithful. And she stood clutching a coffee cup and a cigarette through the whole show. And I think it was coffee. I'd she's, like to say it was she coffee. She seemed very uncomfortable to be on stage. Oh, my God. For someone who'd been performing at that point for 20-something years. Because that was the 80s. Yes. And, and she... Uh, someone yelled out, we love you, Marianne. Yeah. Here, let's do it. I'll, do, I'll, I'll play Marianne. You play the person in the crowd. We love you, Marianne. And I love you. <laughs> she spoke like a lifetime of tar. It, it was like a, a lighter. Yeah, right. A full lighter <laughs> come could talk. to life. Yeah. A full lighter could talk and it come from the bottom of the keg of Amontillado. <laughs> it was what she sounded like. It was, um, what do they say? De- as the Jethro Tull, I'm sorry, I'm quoting them, deep sea diver sounds. And uh, Did you just quote Jethro Tull? Yeah, because <laughs> it was like the Kraken. It was just great. And she sang... Um, all the stuff on Broken English, this was several years after that it came out, was her big comeback album, and I can't remember who produced that. Was it uh, Raymond Zarek, or was oh, it no. John Cale produced it? No, no. Well, somebody hipped her up and gave her a playlist, and she did Ballad of Lucy Jordan, right? Right. At the age of 37, she realized she would never drive through Paris, her sports car, with the wild wind in her hair. This one is um, off of... Uh, you really love doing that impression. Well, the one that I used to like doing in San Francisco that I was starting to pit, tee up earlier was I would go, what if Marianne Faithful did the Banana Splits theme song? There was no reason for this other than for my own hmm. self-indulgent. Ha, la, 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 la. One banana, two banana, three banana, four. Wow. How will there? did this beautiful recording, which sounds like it was made on a Victrola. 
of Kurt Vile's The Soldier's Wife. Battle of the Soldier's Wife. What was said to the soldier's wife? She's perfect for the Weimar. From the ancient city of Prague. (laughs) From Prague came a pair of high heel shoes where the kids thought to came the high heel shoes from the ancient we saw her after her album Strange Weather came out, That's and right. that was produced by Hal Wilner. There you are. So Hal Wilner, and we're not even touching the, this is the scratching the surface of everything he did. He literally, so much. two albums with Tom Waits, Keith Richards, Patti Smith, Iggy Pop, Marion Faithful, Shane McGowan, many others. The Nino wrote an Amacord one, which I remember, but I don't have anything teed up. However, let me play this one. This is a very famous Kurt Vile song. Um, probably next to Mac the Knife, one of the more. And Lou Reed is just perfect. Walter Houston, uh, John Houston, father, Danny Houston's grandfather, um, was a famous actor in the 30s and 40s. And notably in Treasure of Sierra Madre, where he's magnificent mm-hmm. um, in a lot of movies, in 100 movies easily. He had a hit with this in the old days, and that's why it's so awesome to have Lou Reed sing it here. And as time came around, she came my way. As time it's a song about getting older. It's called September Song. Then it turns into a Velvet <laughs> Underground song. <laughs> How will they what to let him do, man? Oh, it's a long, long while. Long Island. September. September. He's got such a Long Island accent. Perfect for him. He would have written it. Hey, honey, he threw in. (laughs) I don't think Kurt Vile would. Did Brecht write? Hey, honey. I love this delivery. November. November. And these few cold days, I'll spend in This is one instance, Jennifer, where Lou Reed takes a song that's an elegy to, to growing old and how the days dwindle down to a precious few and makes it into a bouncy, awesome song. He, it's not depressing in his hands. It's awesome. Well, it's not unique in his career to, take, oh, no. to, be, to take a dark uh, subject matter and make it into a pop song. He has my favorite cancer song um, that goes, Life's Good. But, but not, not fair, fair at all. all. Yeah, and the way he sings it, life's good, but not fair at all. That was after Doc Pomus and a couple of his other friends died. Well, if you can do a Magic deep, and loss, right? Yeah, uh, a deep dive on Hal Wilner. Um, he did, he was, do, did he do the, the tribute album with Iggy Pop and Debbie Harry? I believe he did. I mean, his resume is... Because that was the the fun of it. A, a lot of the themes were, were, you know, serious, but the combinations of people on the albums were sometimes wacky and... Uh, oh, Tim Buckley, right? 
Oh, Todd Rundgren. Wow, everybody. Peaches. He did a pirate-themed concert event called Rogue's Gallery for the Sydney Festival with Todd Rundgren, Marianne Faithful, Gavin Friday, Peter Garrett. I mean, his resume is just... He reminds me of you. What the bad part of him swirling into the heavens is, yeah, he had the virus. He wasn't very old. And he was 64. Um, How Lunar is, I assure you, getting everyone who's ever performed to be a band in heaven. They always talk about right, in the good. afterworld if Jimi Hendrix is there with Keith Moon and whatever. Hal Wilner's got Odetta and... Did, did he produce Red Hot and Blue? Yeah. I so that was, he that, that was the, the AIDS uh, Cole Porter-themed AIDS benefit album. Let me see if he did and before we... Iggy Pop and Debbie Harry sing It's uh, Swell Again. Right. And um, Nina Cherry saying I've Got You Under My Skin, as I recall. Um, he didn't actually uh, produce this album, but it's eclectic anyway. But I think they it. were uh, absolutely copying his his style of gathering people together. Let's enjoy Iggy Pop and Deborah Harry doing a song that's done by Frank Sinatra and Bing Crosby in the movie. Wow, it's Steve Lillywhite. Steve Lillywhite, who's also an awesome producer. And Africa Bombada. <laughs> They're so cute together. It's perfect. Also, it's a chatty song with dialogue. They're both so good looking. All right. I've never seen Jim. <laughs> Is that the only record where anyone calls him Jim? <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Hal Wilner, irreplaceable. I like taking a non-Hal Wilner detour. Oh, uh, you know what? Uh, he would have loved it that way. He had the most. He reminds me of you in that he was able to make all these connections and put people together oh, well, in such you. a beautiful way. If you were a producer, you would have been Hal Wilner because, <laughs> you know, uh, someone said he was the only person who's going to get like Neil Diamond and the residents on stage together or whatever. Like he really, really got it on. Uh, Dolores Huerta uh, was 90th, uh, nine, a, turn, turned 90 this photo? week. Yeah. Uh, Cristela Alonso uh, posted a picture of her sitting on a lawn. Um, this is during the, the uh, lockdown. She's in a plastic chair with balloons and flowers all around her and a sign that reminds and a tiara. you. A, a tiara and a, a, a sash that says 90 and fabulous. And because she's Dolores Huerta and she started the United Farm Workers with Cesar Chavez, yes. she's got a sign that reminds you to take the census next to her. Always working. She we is always working. saw her speak a year ago at the immigration march and it was fabulous. Adam she never Schiff stopped. spoke. She spoke. Yeah, she never it's stopped. just fan. 
fantastic. Uh, was this where Maya Wiley was this yes. week? The Council of People's Organization. Now we're going to get into some charities so you can help during the virus, right from the um, safety of your crib. Um, the Council of People's Organization, COPO, is to assist low-income immigrant families, particularly South Asians and Muslim, Muslims, excuse me, to reach their full potential as residents of New York City. Maya Wiley, who you may know um, from her podcast and from being a, a correspondent or a rather a, um, one of the uh, uh, journalists that people go to on MSNBC, uh, is also an activist and is Le- helping. Legal. Yeah, she's a legal uh, correspondent. Correspondent, yeah, not journalist. She was a professor at the New School. Oh, right. Oh, of course, because she drank over at Cafe Lou like everyone else. Uh, the Council of People's Organization does a lot of valuable work, and they were handing out food in the city, and we saw her on Twitter uh, talking about it, and it's just really worth going to. That's C-O-P-O dot org. Um, let's go to a couple of other ones here. Oh, speaking of jazz, since we've been talking so much about our Jimmy and Hal Wilner and whatnot, Sun Ra, the Jazz Foundation is on Twitter at J-A-Z-Z Foundation. In the time of the pandemic, JFA has established the COVID-19 Musicians Emergency Fund to help musicians and their families with basic living expenses. It's at jazzfoundation.org slash donate. Jazzfoundation.org slash donate. Artists um, are always important because while we're in lockdown, all we have is um, our art and our books and our music to keep us sane. Mm-hmm. Um, or as Jennifer found me going on a crying jag today, listening to the Edwin Hawkins singers. That can happen. It always happens. You know, things are going to spin out a little bit. Um, you Hit me with some ears here and then we'll go through these. Some of my... Charities or do you want me to go through these? Yeah, those are the ones that I saw. Oh, okay. Well, Jennifer gave me all of these. The National Domestic Workers Alliance is uh, that domestic workers are the people who are caregivers, the people who... Um, clean houses. They are by and large women. They are by and large women of color. Um, the uh, You can donate uh, support for workers because uh, they're on the front lines looking after people no, and they're having so to go important. in and clean. Uh, also, uh, think about the, the people that are the cleaners at the uh, hospitals. Uh, they're under great strain and need support too. And they're as exposed as anybody is, more exposed than we are by staying at home. The Coronavirus Care Fund for the National Domestic Workers Alliance is at domesticworkers.org. Feed the Frontline, New Orleans. That's a NOLA, as a, they like to call it. The Frontline, t- let's tell me about this one. This The cooking looks so good on this. Right. They were. It's all the restaurants in New Orleans, and they bring, there's photos of it on their site, which well, is at feedthefrontlinenola.org, feedthefrontline. Um, they started with a few, uh, figuring out how they could uh get restaurants, uh, keep them in business. Right, to keep the kitchen they open. They pay the restaurants right? Uh, so that they can keep their staff on. And uh, it's expanded because people have uh, given money to the to the cause. Um, it's called Feed the Frontline New Orleans. And they use out-of-work musicians to deliver the food to so the awesome. hospitals. That is so awesome. If you've ever been to New Orleans, you know that there's two things there that are uh, unbelievably awesome awesome and that's that the, the food choices are astonishing there's and hundreds the of care there's hundreds of places that are open 24 hours a day but they're really you can get a good meal at the airport oh my god yeah and i didn't eat a dookie chase at the airport but god damn it when this is over we're going and when we land we're going to dookie chase at the airport <laughs> um they and the other thing is music every day where you go there's music on the street there's music in clubs and i'm talking about every day of the week 
you can have a, a, a Sunday night at 10 o'clock in New Orleans, which would be sleepy in any other town, and you're spoiled for fucking choice. There's jazz, there's blues, there's rock, there's uh, that distinctive New Orleans sound. Kermit Ruffin is going to people's houses for, how much is it? He'll play you he'll, your he'll, birthday? Yeah, he'll, he'll play you a happy birthday tune in front of your house on his trumpet. Um, also, I wanted to let people know there is a online magazine called Offbeat, and they list all the things that you can stream during this quarantine, uh, including Kermit Ruffins. Um, there's also musicians that are asking for tips, you know, if you listen and enjoy it and you can. Um, the, Where do I go for that? Um, offbeat.com has nice. the listings. They were playing a tribute to Ellis Marsalis uh, from the, the club that he used to always play, Snug Harbor. Um, they also... Uh, the New Orleans Mayor's Office, Latoya Control, uh, has a, a group that has begun the virtual series Embrace the Culture, which highlights local arts and offers support to visual arts, literary arts, film music, crafts, fashion, and culinary arts. The live streams will feature different events to showcase the diverse collection of artists in New Orleans. They had a DJ kick off the series, and then they were going to have a a film, independent films. Awesome. Where, do, where can I see that? NOLA.com, is it? That was I got from Gambit, which is also a New Orleans magazine. Awesome. Uh, Offbeat Magazine, uh, put this out. You can go to their Twitter site, which is Offbeat Magazine. Uh, this is Big Chief Juan Pardo. As you know, in New Orleans, at the Mardi Gras, they have Cruz, and that's spelled K-R-E-W-E. And um, they dress up in these fanciful um, uh, Indian costumes, like Native American sort of costumes that are crazy, that take all year to build. And um, uh, Big Chief Juan Pardo um, made this Corona song. <laughs> awesome. They're saying, hooray the morning when the corona gone. It's just yeah. beautiful. And he's he's in his backyard. Oh, yeah. He's playing all the parts, Big Chief One Pardo. But Offbeat Magazine put that up and then... Um, the fun began. Comedy Gives Back is for our comedian friends. If you're a comic and you're struggling, it's comedygivesback.com. There is a fund, and you can apply for a grant. And if you make under a certain amount a year, you can get the grant right away from them. And it's all done on the legit. Uh, this is a proper setup uh, foundation uh, for comedians. For all my brothers and sisters, if you need emotional support, there's a number there. It's comedygivesback.com. There's an emergency relief fund. They did a big... Benefit last weekend with a ton of comedians. Um, we'll probably do something for them upcoming. Comedygivesback.com. Uh, Jennifer was talking about janitors and other non-clinical workers in hospitals. Um, they don't have enough protective gear. No. Uh, and here's where you can help. Um, in our town, we're so um, lucky, Jennifer, because we live in California, IA, and our governor 
the mayor of San Francisco, let's stop for a second. You were talking about Latoya Cantrell. Um, let's talk about Keisha Lance Bottoms. Let's talk about um, uh, well, Lori Lightfoot in Chicago. Uh, uh, and uh, Lori Lightfoot's actually driving around Chicago to make sure that people stay indoors. She, she's screaming at people from a car to go back in their houses. <laughs> and there was a series of memes today that were the funniest goddamn things I've ever seen, including Jesus rising from the cave and her going, get your ass back into the cave. Um, she's... Uh, uh, gay, and she's the mayor of Chicago. She was elected on the last go round. What a refreshing change for Chicago! Yes. And then, of course, she has to, like uh, 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 Obama, uh, be handed the steering wheel of the Titanic because mm-hmm. all black people are given that task after white people fuck everything up. And so, London Breed was uh, the most brave by shutting her city down 25th. the first. I was and, there. Like, there was a lot of uh, pushback against that, and. Uh, she was the one. And then our governor, Gavin Newsom, was the first governor to shut the state down. So we were at both of those things because I was in San Francisco when they did that. And then um, the last day we were gigging, me and the Who's Live guys, we're going to come back, by the way, we'll see you in the autumn. Uh, Ryan Styles, Joel Murray, Jeff Davis and I, and Bob Durkach, our uh, fabulous uh, musical director and Morgan, um, our tour manager, were on the way to Lancaster, California. We were driving to San Diego. And that was when, on the phone, I announced to everybody that Gavin Newsom had shut down all public gatherings of more than... If if you're on your way to Lancaster, you're not driving to San Diego. We had to go pick up... uh, (laughs) I think... I can't remember what the first thing was. We picked up Ryan at the airport, and then we were going to San Diego because I think the first gig was in Escondido. It was an exciting day because you kind of you guys kind of toured the Southland and yeah, then came and then back. Back, drove back. And but you I, had lunch at least. We went, we had the the last lunch I had in public, I believe, was uh, uh, at, the, at at some brew pub in San Diego, and I had the fish sandwich, which was quite good. And French fries. Uh, Joel have, had the burger, and it looked off the hook. Have we mentioned that one of the last <laughs> people that we saw was Julie Kavner? We haven't. Which we were, was really... we were picking up a prescription. <laughs> uh, we live um, Beverly Hills adjacent. We don't live 90210, but we live Beverly Hills adjacent, which um, uh, means nothing to you personally. And um, fantastically, there's a, a giant art piece uh, quite on, on Little Santa Monica in Beverly Hills. And this was just days before the lockdown. And it says, Beverly Hills is life. And you're like, no, it's not. It's just... <laughs> It's so good. We went to Canners for not Canners, uh, Nate Nate Nails, which closed. We went. We went to Nate Nails. They closed Nate Nails. It's the most famous deli in Beverly Hills. Courtney Cox and Lisa Kudrow were there, and I remember thinking, like, this isn't where you go for the low cal lunch platter. I had the pastrami, and you had the turkey. I had the turkey, and I have to say that I, I ate the whole. I, I was I was fighting not to go there. I was going to say the thing about you and Nate's is you, well, there was, you never want to go. There's an Italian place then, here. Right. There's an Italian place that I love, and and but I have to say I loved my turkey sandwich. You never so. want to go, and then every time we go, you love it, and now it's not there anymore. So I bet you're glad you went. We we go there for breakfast sometimes. There was that lovely story about the waitress. Oh, she got another gig. Nate Nails and people were lobbying to get her. She had more connections than I've ever. It was had such in my a show career. business no, deli. The head of. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, William Morris used to sit at her table and she knew what he wanted. He didn't mm. order. She, she, he would come in and she'd just get it for him. And there was pictures of her with him and they all, the, but not the agents, people it, who own agencies kind of hilarious were, the, were her clients. That neighborhood, everyone is bread averse. 
Except at Nate Nels. And calorie averse. So Nate Nels, you're asking for more rye bread. Because you my sandwiches to, you know, the rye bread breaks after half. Although there is a nod to L.A. because the last time I was there and had breakfast, I asked for extra, extra salsa. And there was an array of salsas. Um, a Jewish deli where the, the dishes are like not so bry and, and uh, uh, um, locks and eggs, uh, whatnot. Everyone uh, that's cooking is from Mexico. Everyone eats salsa on their breakfast here. And even... Thank God. Uh, we've seen Larry King there. We've seen like... <laughs> it's, it's, it's legendary or was legendary. Anyway, that was our last meal out was uh, Nate Nels. And I'm glad I had the pastrami because I haven't had a pastrami sandwich in a hundred years. And it was quite good, of course. And strangely, I hadn't gone to Cantor's a couple of days before that. And I hadn't been there in You're ages. You were really doing a tour. I know. Right? I was doing all the Jewish delis of the uh, Beverly Hills Fairfax. I only we missed just, a, We'd gone to Musso's. What was it? Um, uh, uh, what's the one on uh, Pico? Uh, Factors? Factors, where all the comics used to eat. Factors is good. I've only been there I've a couple times. I've never been there. Yeah. That, it's, isn't, that, isn't that where Carl Reiner... Yeah, Factors is uh, literally everyone who was a star in the 50s, 60s, and 70s on TV <laughs> that is Jewish. <laughs> is. But that that was the great thing about diners and delis in L.A. Oh, my God. Is that you could go and run into... Right. I mean, you would see uh, uh, Pat Harrington from One Day at a Time or whatever. Bill Macy. Yeah, Bill Macy. I ran into Bill Macy at the coffee shop near our house before it closed. and um, He I, was on mod with B. Arthur. Yeah, he was also in the first stage of He was her husband. Of, of um, Calcutta. And he God all, will get you, Arthur. More. Bill Macy talk like this. Um, he's, he used to, he was good buddies with my acupuncturist. Boy, this story just got L.A. Victor. Really? You're acupuncturist? And, and the thing that killed me is I, I would come out or I would be waiting, and, and Bill Macy never, ever got acupuncture, but he would... Are you ha- kidding? He was 1,000 years old. He would meet Victor there to... Uh, they would go golf together, but mainly he would meet him at the office to harangue the people that were waiting. Yeah. And hector them and riff. Because oh he, he was God. funny. He would make me laugh. Bill Macy was a comedian. Bill Macy was in the movie My Favorite Year. If you can't think of anything else to orient you on what Bill Macy did. He plays the head writer. Uh, then Marklin Baker joins the team. And, and Joe Bologna plays Sid Caesar, supposed to be the 50s. And Bill Macy has two of the best lines in the movie. He goes, um, I read your script last night, fell asleep halfway through. It's not that it wasn't funny. It's just that it wasn't funny. Like but that. he really was that person. <laughs> I read your script last night, fell asleep halfway through. He would, he would stand there with it, with his elbows on, on the desk and just say snipey things about Victor's service. When did, he, when did he go into the heavens? Last year? A couple of years ago. Oh, and he was 95 or 96. Oh, yeah. So when I saw him at the coffee shop, him and I had done it, full disclosure, I was on a show called True Jackson 10 years ago on Nickelodeon where I played uh, the, the, the clothing designer, Max Madigan, and it was called Mad, uh, what was it, Mad Fashion or whatever. And True, I hire a 15-year-old. It's the attention to detail, Greg. Black girl, who cares? Uh, I, have a, uh, I hire a 15-year-old black girl to be the vice president of the company. And um, I said to the producers, who are both geniuses, uh, um, Andy Gordon has worked on Modern Family for 100 years on a dazzling variety of shows. Uh, and Kopelman, Dan Kopelman, unforgettable on the show as the character Kopelman, who always, <laughs> the only function of him was that I threw him out of every single meeting. 
we would have a board meeting in the morning and I would go Copelman out like that and that was the whole joke if you were eight this was hilarious I remember we would do it live in front of kids and there would be like five year olds people would sneak in like five and six year olds who weren't supposed to be there but they brought them in anyway because there'd be three or four kids and I remember doing a gag once where I like fell off a thing and there was always animals and stuff and we did the show live we shot the show live hamsters, horses I got bit by a hamster yeah I got crushed by a horse um, I had my balls put into this weird wench and lifted in the air I, I sat on a, in a lawn chair on a lawn chair and was and, and hauled into the gods uh, uh, via a, you know, a you wire wouldn't, you wouldn't think no being on a children's belt. show would be that hectic now, Nickelodeon Nickelodeon now everything on Nickelodeon I'm worried is. about Seymour and the sea monster right how do you like the, you mean the what safety happened, measures? What happened to HR Puff and stuff? There were no what's his name? Kling died in a terrible accident. I mean, Clang, I don't know what happened to Clang. They, because they, you know, what about Witchy Poo? Witchy Poo had to ride that broom broom in the sky. And Orson and Seymour, heaven knows what happened to those actors. They probably got no water and they're probably smoking inside those suits, you know. And uh, yeah, I almost died a thousand times in um, making true, and it was great. Um, and uh, Bill did an episode. And I'm not going to tell you anything he did, but it was scandalous. He was the most poorly behaved person that was... And by the way, that was right after the writer's strike. So we literally had everyone on that show. Philip Baker Hall, the movie actor, who was in The Secret Honor by Altman. Right, you were just a week away from having Harvey Keitel. Yeah, we, we literally... Things had gotten so crazy in town. And we were all so lucky to get a gig then. Not not the kids, they were enormously talented, but I was lucky to get the gig. And... Uh, we, uh, Phil, Phil Baker Hall, Andy Richter, uh, 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 what's his name? Um, uh, Paul Tompkins, uh, uh, the long haired. Wasn't uh, Will Gruber. Smith's daughter on? Willow and Smith Will, was on. And Will I Smith met, was hanging out? I had a run through, I mean, a, a read through with Will Smith and we fist bumped at it. That's how crazy <laughs> this shit got. What's his name? Master P. Yes. I met Master P, you guys. I met Will Smith and Master P doing True Jackson. Well, right on. Justin Bieber was on it too, and it was right before he exploded. And I don't mean that in any euphemistic <laughs> way, because I don't care if he explodes. But I missed that. I wasn't on that episode. I was really. You might have been lucky. Yeah, right. But we, the people that you met on the show were fucking. What's her name? Uh, that wonderful actress, Wendy. Malik? Malik. Wendy Malik, uh, who's really funny and is in a thousand things. She was on it. Um, By the way, you're wearing rabbit ears. I know. Anyway, right now, it you're was, wearing it, rabbit ears. All the kids on the show have gone on to have enormous careers. Uh, and uh, Bill Macy, uh, I saw him in a coffee shop years after that, after doing True Jackson with him. And all the things he said on the show that literally almost got him thrown off the show. And uh, <laughs> he was just... Well, imagine what he was like with B. Arthur. I, I, I can't. B. Arthur... This was him in his we, 80s. We met B. Arthur, yeah. and B. Arthur was a force to be reckoned with. B. Arthur molested a comedian at that... We did a contest at the Improv Molested or just embraced she fervently? Was, uh, it was a comic from Denver, and she groped him pretty fervently. She was, she was tall. She was enormous. And, and the same in public. Oh, my God. I thought you were so funny. And she grabbed him. And, <laughs> and like, at that same gig, if you remember, I was semi-drunk because they were only letting us drink Johnny Walker Red or something. Uh, and you and I were drinking in wasn't wine Wasn't B. Arthur in the Marines? Yes. Julia Child was a spy for the Army in World War II. Yes. Beatrice Arthur was in the Marines. And Queen Elizabeth was a mechanic in the Royal Army yes. during the war. So just remember, oh, gold in my ear. Um, Dr. Ruth, who I just met, was a sniper. Yeah. And could take, she said, take a gun apart and put it together again, blindfolded. And she said, um, I never got shot. 
<laughs> I was like, you're, oh my God. Isn't you're she three feet tall? She's, I spoke to Kathleen Madigan this week, who's a very good friend of ours and um, a brilliant comedian. And for some reason she lives in Tennessee or somewhere? Where's Tennessee, I, that's right. I can't explain Anyways, why. Kathleen and I spoke because uh, a good buddy of ours swirled into the heavens named Vic Henley. He Vic was Henley. so lovely. Yeah. He was so lovely. I remember we, we uh, went on Lewis Black's cruise and uh, comedy cruise. And as we were boarding the ship, I I was... Uh, Trepidatious. Yeah, absolutely. I was very afraid. Maybe it was the queue of crazy people. It, there were 4,000 people. And I just thought, oh, God, how am I going to make this 10 days? And I'd never been on a cruise ship before. And I turned to Vic and he looked at me with his Alabama accent. And he knew what was going on in my mind. And he said, "We each Lewis has made it so that we each have a balcony. We have a place to hide. And I was like, I can do this. Vic saw the consternation in your face and he went, don't worry, you have your own balcony. You have a place to hide. Uh, he Vic, was having a, a really good time uh, that week. He had a time that we're not even going to talk about. It was so good. He had a marvelous time on that week. Uh, I'd known Vic for, I don't know, 25 years. Kathleen and him were enormously close and he worked with Kathleen. Vic Henley uh, brought um, untold joy to loads of people. The thing about Vic Henley was... You know a lot of comedians, and some of us are uh, knobs, and some of us are straight arrows, and some of us are... Uh, well, he wasn't th- going to talk to you about his gig. He was going to talk to you about music. He was one of nature's and gentlemen. what's what? I don't think anyone thought anything bad about the Kenley, and no. I don't know how many people you can say that about never right? out of comedy. Just in anybody, life, in anybody. Life. He was a genuinely positive person yeah. who you were always happy to see. Because he was so... He was on the same floor as us, and as I recall, his room was the party room. Oh, everybody went to his room. It was... <laughs> he... I love it, Kenley. And uh, he had a fantastic, like, deputy dog accent. And Where Kathleen was, he was from doing... in Alabama? Alabama. Uh, I can't remember. Where? He was good mates with Foxworthy and all those cats, and... Um, was Kathleen doing him? Yeah, because Kathleen's a, a, a tremendous mimic, and uh, she can do all the other comedians. And Kathleen talks like this, but then she'll drop into Vic, and she's like, she got Kathleen. <laughs> like, she's just, it's really good. Anyway, uh, Vic Henley's swirling in the heavens, and we shall ever miss him. You were talking about people on the front line, people who work in the emergency room, people who work in hospitals. The Friends of West LA has a site called Responders First. That's Responders, then the word first, then dot LA. Supplying zero-cost meals for LAPD, LA Fire Department, UCLA, Ronald Reagan, ER doctors, nurses, and staff during the crisis. It's so great that these people are so organized and have just you know jumped in right away. We're going to have to get through this um, together because uh, you may have noted, and we'll just touch on this ever so briefly. Um, Orange 45 is uh, running the autocrat playbook now, and the autocrat playbook doesn't count for governance or empathy or uh, lifting you up or the truth at any point. It's only concerned with keeping its own organism alive and stealing and thriving. Well, we just we, we talk again and again about what the end game is for for those in the GOP and those in the White House. And, and aside from having five minutes to roll in money before the world ends, I'm not sure what that is. It's a really horrible scenario. The same that I feel like, you know, we're reliving 
um, with a pandemic on top of it, uh, uh, communist Russia at the beginning, um, uh, the Germany in the 30s to be sure, the difference over the analogy, and this is going to be so poor that you're going to be able to read through this analogy. You can see through it like a palimpsest. It has writing on both sides from two different decades. Uh, is that after the revolution hit the, the flu. We uh, haven't heard palimpsest since Gore Vidal. Right? They haven't hit the flu, uh, the flu uh, epidemic, what they call the Spanish flu. The reason they called the Spanish flu is the Spanish press. Because the Spanish press was the only one printing the truth. So, like then, we had a terrible president named Woodrow Wilson, who was a fascist and a racist and a Nazi and hated women and set American uh, uh, set the he, army he, on uh, troops that were to, petitioning to have money after the war. Right, uh, he liked to jail suffragettes. Woodrow Wilson is one of America's most ghastly presidents. He's really there's so many to choose from. A nasty piece of work and wasn't that coherent. But the point is, uh, what was your point? They had to lock down then, and we have to lock down now. This isn't something that hasn't happened before. It just hasn't happened for a hundred goddamn years in our country. We did have a ball. Well, we've never had all 50 states under an emergency. And 45 tweeted about it today like he was proud of it. And the point is, he should have acted, as we know, 70 days ago and all that. Washington Post, New York Times. It's not even a question anymore. We know for a fact that he said in a meeting... Um, what if we let it wash over America? And Fauci said a lot of people will die, and he did not. He take said, "Let's that. wait." Yeah, yeah. He let's didn't wait. Take it up. So you can believe what you want to believe, and you can uh, live in a van, and you can be a Bernie bro, and you can do whatever you want. But understand what we're doing here. We're having if, to if do this. If you're going to be a Bernie bro, I don't want to hear from you. <laughs> we're doing no this. Mo. We're we're doing this on our own. Uh, and we're doing this with each other's help. And California, as Gavin Newsom declared last week, is a nation state. Like I love Sparta that. or Corinth or right? the Hanseatic League. Or Well, we're what? We're 40 million now? 40 million people? Um, we are the Mongols. And we will <laughs> ride across the steps. Beauty to the streets.org. Jennifer this, hit me this, this woman, one. Shirley Rains, started this a while ago to, to give uh, beauty services to the homeless. And, oh my God, today I saw a picture of her and she's got her face mask on. And, but because she's, her group is called Beauty to the Streets, she's got dynamic blue eyeshadow and a blinged out mask. The mask is so good. And she, now she's transitioned to bringing goods to the homeless a hot shower a hearty meal they're bringing yeah. goods to the homeless it's beauty with a two not the word two beauty and then number two then the streets with a z a. with a z so it's beauty two number two the streets z dot org i don't think there's anything more no, important you could do there's instagram is yeah, there awesome she is. too there's the there's the mask yeah. Look right? at that. She's wearing purple, purple eyebrows. Oh, oh yeah. She's got it going on. Um, let me let's read this. Heroes of the Pandemic hashtag is our new series that features everyday heroes showing service, sacrifice, or kindness. That's from Newsweek. They were they were talking oh, about yeah. her in Thank Newsweek. Thank you for pointing that out because it, I just realized that when I was reading it. Yeah. They got in Newsweek. She's been handing out hand sanity. And vitamin C kits and Skid Row. Now, L.A. Skid she's Row. She's been doing the. She's been yeah. working with the homeless on Skid Row for years. Now she's stepping up. Instead of avoiding that area, she is actually just changing what she's providing them. The Skid Row in L.A., I assure you, is like a it's epic comic epic. book. It's it, there's an army 
of people who are completely without. And by the way, there's water. a lot of homeless people in LA who work. Yeah. Working poor is a very much a thing. You know, part of the 45 and the GOP's whole shtick is trying to shut down people of color, trying to shut down the poor, trying to shut down the working poor well, and demonize them. And in this case, uh, kind of, you know, let the boom fall on them because that's who's really bearing the brunt of all this. It's not millionaires. It's not white guys. The other day he said something like the airline CEOs CEOs have had a rough week or what it's like, I don't, no one cares about. Have we talked about that Hollywood group? We're getting right to it. Because I love how they organized. They, they went to their uh, city council members was that a, no. no, it's coming up, but I'll, I'll hit this one and then we'll go to that one. LACedars.org uh, uh, stroke donate hyphen LA COVID response. Um, their mission is um, in Hollywood zip codes. Yeah, this is part of it. This is what Jennifer was talking about. Um, two of the counselors here got together in West Hollywood and thought, what about um, old people and what about old people who don't speak English that are home alone and need food? So... It's called LACedars.org. The amazing thing is they actually just started phoning people. They had a list of the elderly in their zip codes, in two different zip codes, and they just started phoning them at home and figuring out if they had family and friends look in on them and if they needed food. And then they would... They uh, because crime is down because yeah. everyone's staying the home. The cops can deliver. The it. police are able to deliver food to these Seniors. It was Lewis Abramson and Ferris Webby, and they began cooking up ways. This is exactly, and they're members of the Central Hollywood Neighborhood Council. Ferris came to me like, what can we do? And by the way, Abramson's an astrophysicist. It didn't take long to agree. Homebound seniors might need help. They scrolled their constituent records and found the names and phone numbers of seniors living in uh, the 9028 and Mm -hmm. 9038, Mm -hmm. which are right in the neighborhood. Hollywood. Hollywood. And all they did was ring them. And it's Isn't just, that well, but that's community activism. People always made fun of Obama because he was a community organizer. And they it's go, everything. It's everything. As, as we talked about, it's, it's like so voting locally. Hillary Clinton used to go around and yes. counsel people. Yes. yes. It's, it's literally everything. Because knowing who your constituents are makes more people safe. And part of the government, the biggest part of government, is um, public health and safety. Yes. And this government has failed. The federal government has failed, not just utterly, but in a genocidal, horrible, greedy, white guy, cash grab. Right. So we need to work locally and on our way up from there. Uh, Donate L.A. By the way, that article in the L.A. Times was by Steve Lopez, who... Mm always covers these human interest LA stories. They're really beautiful. And may I ask you once again, please get a subscription to your local paper. The LA times is doing awesome work about the homeless. They really are. And, and the virus, the Cleveland plane dealer passed and, away last week. And it's, so it's, bad. it's vital that we have these journalists who are trained. This is not your Twitter friend. This, these are trained journalists right, who are it's giving not Facebook, you it's not important information. Um, and if you can afford a subscription, don't tweet that you want to see something and you're, you're complaining because it's behind a paywall. It's behind a paywall because journalists need to live. By the way, there's a lot of papers that are uh, 
all the uh, virus-related material is not behind the paywall. Right, the LA Times, for instance. But uh, I'm right. just saying, if you can, you know, $20 a year, whatever it is, yeah. uh, just make that effort, because we have to support journalists. Without journalism, I'm forced to rely on Mark Zuckerberg and the owners of Google. Uh, no. And I'm uh, not no. doing it. LACedars.org is the name of that one. The article in the LA Times is from, uh, let's see, April 11th by Steve Lopez. You can look him up. And that article's called, In Hollywood and Around LA, COVID-19 is Bringing Out Our Inner Heroes, and like the two that I spoke to you about. Kinder, uh, excuse me, KinderTogether.com, Kinder Together is a group from that article. Right, Webb's son or son-in-law uh, created this. It is nationwide, and um, they're using uh, Kinder uh, to um, find people to talk to, to deliver groceries. It's really... Well, they developed it so because one of them had a disabled father, right. and he wasn't near, and he needed to organize people to look after his disabled dad. And these are things that we need to do in the absence of uh, those other kind of uh, fallbacks. You mean like the federal government coming in (laughs) and having the National Guard set up hospitals and going into every single community and 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 infusing people's bank accounts with money and all those things that they should be doing. And also we have to remember a lot of poor communities and older people don't have access to the Internet. Nope, they don't have a cell phone, you guys. Like you were talking about the post we're going to talk about the post office right now. And a lot of people get their... Uh, medicine. Right. Their medicine by mail. They're absolutely dependent. Your mom didn't have access to the internet when she lived and in Texas. And my mother was so old at one point that she drove very rarely and had to have relatives drive her to get groceries to go to the doctor. And so my mother depended on the mail for all of her bills. Mm-hmm. She did not use mm-hmm. her phone and she did not have a computer. And um, you may think it's nobody, but it's millions of... It's tens and twenties and forties and mil- well, there about was- a quarter of the country is lives in poverty, and so I would say that this is fifteen percent of the country doesn't have any internet or any access to it, doesn't right. have any phones, doesn't have any computers. Well, and it's also the infrastructure. No, nothing was built to provide them with that, Mm-mm. and and so when when there was there's maps this week of showing and gloating over oh my god, there's so much less uh, traffic vehicle traffic. But there's a lot of traffic in the, the southeast and in the middle of America. Well, because, that's because there's food deserts. Mm-hmm. And maybe your grocery store is a long way away. Yeah. And any of your amenities that you need to get to, you have to get in the a pharmacy, car. And the there is no, there's no transport other no. than a car. And there's no communication other than the United States Postal Service, yes. which is efficient and for 55 cents will deliver a handwritten note that you write at home in an envelope to a place all the way across the country, including Alaska and Hawaii, in two days, three days' time. 55 cents. Think about we what have, that is. We have older friends. We have friends who are in care facil- facilities. And it's an important thing to receive a, a, a package, a letter. Perhaps even something illegal. Wow. Oh, did I just go there? You know... I'm a big postcard person, as Jennifer will attest, and the ma- the U.S. mail means a great deal to me. And I'm a postcard person. There's some right person. here. I think we got Anna Cortez, Seattle. Oh, this is the last road trip. Yeah, you're taking There's me back otter. to the day before the uh, isolation. A hilarious cat. Now we're looking at Anna Cortez. Fargo, Fargo, North Dakota. 
I was in Fargo last year. It was great. They had a wood chipper scene. Like, Fargo was so much fun. We stayed at the worst hotel. We were so far out of town. I don't know what was going on. There was a fishnet mending orgy or something. And Morgan booked us at this hotel. I don't think there's a lot of fishing so in Fargo. We, I led an expedition into town with um, uh, Joel and um, Dave Foley. And we went to this really fancy, the only fancy restaurant in Fargo. Like it I think I, I found that place yeah, you for did. you. So... I pitched up, and this is what's fantastic about Fargo. There's 10 people there, right? And they're white. And I came in with Dave Foley. What about the indigenous people, Greg? In this restaurant. Okay. And um, I pitched up with these guys. And I thought I had some some heavyweight, you know, TV talent with me. And uh, they go, do you have a table booked? And I went, this is Fargo. I'm like, okay, no, I don't have a table booked. And they're like, whatever. And I went, they go, it's seven hours for table. And so I went, may we sit at the bar? And they went, yeah. So we sat at the bar. And of course, we had the best time. We had a lovely dinner there. Then we did a show. Well, isn't that nice? Then after the show, we were walking down the street and there was a guy outside having a cigarette. And he goes, I fucking love you guys. It's my girlfriend's birthday. Will you come inside? So we went inside and we spent the whole night <laughs> drinking <laughs> with this birthday party. And then we were told she was a piano player. It was fantastic. Uh, that she was a musician. And so finally, at the at drunken apex of the evening, she was urged to, there was a keyboard there. There was a piano and, in the and corner. could she play? I'd rather not discuss the right, quality right. of her playing. I mean, I don't want to make a value judgment. Let's, let's just, just say we had a... And, um, and then later, I led an expedition to the liquor store. In no. Florida. Yeah, it was... This... this uh, that you're going to talk about next... The United States Postal Service needs to be saved. If you buy a sheet of stamps, it's $11. You can use them whenever you like. I'm a big letter person. And I'm a big the, the idea that we're even discussing supporting the the postal it's in the service is is white supremacy. Well, no, it's like you know, what are these nihilists doing? The one thing that every American agrees on, and it's been proven by polls, we don't agree on the army, we don't agree on ICE, we don't agree on the DHS, we don't agree on whatever the IRS, but. Over 90%, 95% approval rating is the post office. That's Republicans and Democrats. There's one thing we all agree on is that, like, I want to be able to send my aunt a card. Is that okay with you? Everyone loves a birthday card. And everyone loves... It really means a lot. Well, I, I get that they don't want any mail-in ballots because they're going to lose. I didn't even get to that part. Or that Jeff Bezos um, kept the post office going because Amazon uses the post office. I mean, they'll find other means. They're Amazon. But my goodness. Also, fuck you. Benjamin Franklin has three great traits. <laughs> One, yeah, he had a sense of humor. Okay, all right. I'm going to skirt around a lot of shit here. Yeah. Because he's a founding father white guy. He didn't wear a wig. Remember, he had the bald head. He went to France and cut what can only be described as a swath through. He impressed them because he spoke French and was smart. So he had two advantages going that other Americans didn't. Him and TJ, I think, made the biggest impression. Let's not talk about TJ. We're never talking about TJ again. Benjamin Franklin's idea for the post office was the one that still persists to this day. Someone comes to your house, a representative of the federal government, every day. With written material. It's it's really terrific. And I left, you know, ha how about this idea? I left a thank you note for our postal worker yesterday. Yeah, you did. You're so generous and kind. No, but I mean, it's not being no, kind. It's are. like it was, being, you I know. I didn't think of it, though, these Jennifer. These people come to your door. Yes. 
to your door. They're the only people you allow, other than you know the UPS and whatnot. Um, it's so important. Uh, Restaurant Workers Relief Program. Uh, this Jennifer, is this is really a good. Can you see group. what it says? L E E. It's called the Lee Initiative. Yes. L E E Initiative dot org. Due to the closure of restaurants across America, let's talk about this, Jennifer. So they're they're working with restaurants in specific places. For instance, last week uh, a restaurant on Melrose called Moza yes. was. Uh, providing meals and groceries for laid off restaurant workers. So they can go in all these different cities, Seattle. um, There's the list down below that you just went through. Yeah. Yeah. So Atlanta, Bay Area, Boston, all all over the states. And Kentucky, whatnot. So the restaurant workers can log in and they can get, and how many meals does it say they served? Oh my goodness. Scroll down. Uh, There it is. 25,000 meals. And so they're, they're doing this uh, to, to look after these people that have just recently lost their job. And uh, might I say, some of these restaurants that are giving out these meals are, are mighty fine restaurants. And I hope that they're looking after the people that work for them. Um, Jennifer and I, um, well, we enjoy eating out and we eat out on a regular basis. And now, of course, Jennifer's a superb cook, so I'm very lucky in that regard. We had lemon cake tonight. Yeah. We had a lemon tea cake. For dessert. I mean, no. for tea. <laughs> for tea. Uh, this group, the Lee Initiative, is in Atlanta, the Bay Area, Boston, Brooklyn, Gertie, Brooklyn, Olmstead, Chicago, Cincinnati, Denver, Houston, Lexington, which is a lovely place, Louisville, which is also lovely, Los Angeles, our little town, New Orleans, Seattle, and Washington, D.C., they're really trying to keep the staff, the wait staff that waits on you. It's really important. Going during this. Um, we're not, the $1,200 checks aren't going to materialize forever. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to try Things to Things need to happen right now. Yeah. One fair wage emergency fund. Restaurant workers, gig workers, and other alley workers are facing unprecedented, yes, as we know. That's at OFWE. Emergency fund. Again, this is really important because these are people that don't have any you can kind tip of tip people on this one. Yes, it's great. Yes. So let's look at this. Yeah, it's it's really clever. O F W E emergency How does this work? Workers who are involved, they sign up. The mm-hmm. people who worked at restaurants, they're vetted, mm-hmm. and then you tip them. Yes, right on this website here. Yeah, like I'm pressing the button here. It's great. And. uh under federal law, tip workers can be paid a sub-minimum wage. Tips are supposed to make up the difference, but they often don't. Because it's a policy that's literally a holdover from the slavery era, our nation's largest workforce of women of color work hard all day for pocket change, Uber, Lyft, Instacart, DoorDash. And that, you know, you and I have been talking about this. We've tried to get things delivered. We have things delivered. We're lucky to have a couple places where we know the uh, people that work there and they themselves deliver stuff to us. But otherwise, you're... Uh, talking about a third party. You're talking about a third party. There's no accountability. There's no uh, interface with the restaurants, the right. markets. We want to support our local independent markets and uh, produce places. And it's really difficult because there's no old-fashioned delivery services. Sometimes and it's best to pick it up, I suppose. 
no, no, you're right. I mean, there should be this this kind of old-fashioned system uh, where you just... You don't have to pay, they don't have to pay a third party. Well, you we, don't have to pay a third party. Aren't we finding now that the phone, um, the mail, and that calling people and picking up stuff from their store, having them delivered directly to you is now what yes, we need. Really what important. we need is what we had in the 60s right, to and talk 70s. to people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You call and them, also, you ask them. And, and speaking of 60s and 70s, you need something that's a union yes. so that people get, as opposed to Uber and Lyft, where uh, people get paid something when they're laid off. Well, I mean, I think the big uh, message from all of this is, of course, uh, the enormous racism of the Republican Party and their quest to keep power at any cost. But the human side of it is um, there needs to be a basic income for everyone that's provided by the government. Even the Pope was talking about that today. How did, right, how did the government find trillions of dollars behind a desk somewhere when we were told we couldn't have health care education? So in an emergency, all of a sudden, there's trillions of dollars so that we can bail out giant corporations and cruise ships and whatnot and airlines and not um, everyday people. Does a nurse ever need to buy a burger again in their life? Does a doctor ever need to? Also, the rush to have an app. Doctors to, are being forced to, to, all of them, all healthcare people, yes. in any moment that are being forced to face their own demise in helping other people. And why shouldn't that be rewarded at the end of this and forever rewarded? Why, why should they even have to, to Worry. suffer what they're, they're yes. going through right now? They should have enough so now equipment. We know schools need to be open and have food for two meals a day. We know that hospitals need to be overstaffed, overfunded, and oversupplied. We know now that... I never want to hear about kids having to worry about their school lunch debt. Right. Ever again. Grocery stores, clerks, and um, uh, garbage people, delivery people, and the post office need to have their own... They're out there doing their jobs against all of this. All their health care needs to be taken care of. All that has to be made right at the end of this. And the only way we're going to do it, and I don't mean to get political here, is to to raise taxes on everybody. And to not have... to vote for Democrats up and down the ballot. That's it. Well, that's the first step. Because the Republicans, as you've noticed, are still calling us from the top, do-nothing Democrats, and it's really odious. So This Tea Party nonsense in the GOP is, you know, again, what what is their end game? There isn't any. But we can help each other. The street emergency uh, vendor fund is called GoFundMe.com stroke F stroke street hyphen vendor uh, hyphen emergency fund. Um, what were you no, say? I'm just going to say it's just easy to go to the GoFundMe, the street vendor emergency fund. Oh, you're right. And it's in, I made it more complicated yeah, than did. it needed to be. It's, it's, uh, That's unusual for me. Uh, weird. And it's a big deal in Los Angeles and, and other cities. Los Angeles has a lot of street vendors. and So does New York. So does Chicago. They don't have a fallback. No. So the GoFundMe street vendor emergency fund is great. Um, in L.A., people buy... Um, Ices and yeah. hot dogs, uh, balloons. Um, they're so juices. Fruit, fruit. Uh, I was gonna say fruit juice is a real item. The thing now. that was nice is April first. They wrote, "We're floored by the response and support," and they've been uh, doling out the the money to various street vendors. I think they're up to a hundred. They're trying to, to uh, really. Keep, oh, look, they got fifty thousand. Right. They're, they're trying to keep. Uh, 
almost 500 street vendors. Oh my god! You know, and by the way, a lot of these people afloat. make this stuff at home. Keep and bring them. It out. They all there's do. They vendors. all do. Greg. They don't. There's not a kitchen that they're no. working out of. And it's beautiful, and the food's really. Some of these people are. Uh, Jonathan Gold, who was the famous food critic oh, for the LA Times, he used to write about a couple of food vendors, uh, a woman that would make tamales that would be on La Brea. Um, these yeah. are not obscure people. A lot of people uh, stopped on their way to work to frequent these people uh, who made delicious food for them every day, breakfast burritos and, and whatnot. And it's home style, baby. Oh, God. Uh, undocumented workers are um, the backbone of the United States and the backbone of California. It's something like a quarter of restaurant workers in California. I'm I bet all more. for it. I bet more. You and I don't patronize any place that doesn't have undocumented workers working there. And um, V-A-L-A Hospitality dot L-A V-A-L-A Hospitality dot L-A um, When you go on it, it's great. Um, they're Bienvenido, it says. They have a really sexy website. Game, really. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, charities you can go to. Uh, They're based in uh, Boyle Heights, and they were uh, trying to. Right. They they had a bar hospitality company, and they really, when this all happened, that they wanted to help the people in that neighborhood and Boyle Heights is famous for having an uprising in the last couple of years yeah. about gentrification. And there's even a TV show about it and which I'm sure doesn't go down well there. Right. Um, so this, this group is based in Boyle Heights and Boyle Heights is, is a, a real, uh, was Jewish once upon a time. Well, it, it's, it's a, a very important, piece of the gentrification puzzle in that mm. it is a a deeply Hispanic neighborhood that is fighting to preserve its heritage. And so for them to have this group of supporting undocumented workers right. from there, it's it's really powerful. They've come to the United States to help. And by the way, they pay taxes. Uh, do they just? I, I don't even get it. It's so... Racist. What was the the Statue of Liberty says, or as Lou Reed says, the Statue of Bigotry. Give me your tide, your porn on something. That's what the Statue of Bigotry right, says. Um, they've come here to um, escape what they were doing, and they work as hard as anyone else. And more, harder, right? Um, it's called No Us Without You. And they feed 30 families a week, but as word spread, they saw donations get bigger. The Boyle Heights warehouse that had been uh, Vala Hospitality's office is now a de facto distribution center. If you want to give, it's, uh, it's Linktree. How do you spell that, Jennifer? Can you read that? L-I-N-K-T-R dot E. Well, I, I think simpler is to say PayPal. it's No Us Without You. They're at No <laughs> Us Without You. And you can donate through every conceivable and, form. You know, how thoughtful and simple. Uh, they just looked around where they're located in Boyle Heights, and which is in uh, just east of downtown L.A., and what they could do. It's just fantastic. Um, I think the generosity of people um, and the, uh, uh, the the community spirit 
Oh, okay. All right. Uh, the, and the community spirit ha- is what has to carry the day because I don't see, you know, a lot of help coming from the outside and whatnot. Here, let's talk about him and then let's push on. Um, I, I wanted to mention Ronald Lewis, who passed away at 68 from the virus. He was somebody I had read about a couple of years ago because he founded a museum called the House of Dance and Feathers. Oh, my God. Which is just... So, so awesome. Um, CNN, the of House all of places. Dance and Feathers? Yeah, uh, CNN of all places called him a giant of New Orleans culture and a scholar of the people. Mayor LaToya Cantrell called him a culture, culture bearer of New Orleans. Oh. He was based in the Lower Ninth Ward, which, as we know, went through everything in Katrina. Oh, my God. He opened the House of Dance and Feathers, dedicated to documenting and preserving the city's rich cultural history. He served as the director and curator of the museum that strove to tell the stories of the city's poorest neighborhoods. I want to educate the world about our great culture, he said. How we do this and why we are so successful at it, even though the economics say we are not supposed to be. Wow. Um, one of his friends said he was an intellectual of his traditions. He was a scholar of the people. He founded the Big Nine Social Aid and Pleasure C- Club. Organizations like that can be traced back to the 19th century and are intricately weaved into the fabric of New Orleans. The clubs were the driving force of community providing health care and burial services for its members and a place that inspired debate and public service. Once a year, the Big Nine Social Club hosts a party, a parade, rather, and a second line. For Lewis, the event was the highlight of his year. He loved bringing his community together, planning the parade route, and seeing everyone dressed up for the occasion. Mm -hmm. It's just so beautiful. Willie Wilkerson first met Aretha Franklin, whom she called her, quote, forever friend in the 80s. His daughters say he wasn't sure who she was. <laughs> Isn't that why she liked him? He um, was Other in, than he was big and tall. I'm assuming he was her de facto. They were together a long time. They were engaged for a while. Were they? Oh, yeah. Um, he had the virus. Um, he had uh, led an accomplished life. Raised in Detroit's east side, he was a Vietnam War veteran with the Marines, and he was a fire engine operator with the Detroit Fire Department. Uh, a captain with the department, David Webster, said he was the best that ever did it, and I'm not just saying that. And I love that. Yeah, awesome. Um, he had a taxi uh, fleet, and um, he had children who uh, were also top priority. Her father says, uh, I mean, her his daughter, Tiki Wilkerson, recalls her father coming to the house in the middle of the night to kill a spider and another trip to rid her attic of hamsters. What? I don't even know what that means. What? Uh, Mr. Wilkerson. Um, I just remember reading that uh, Aretha Franklin trusted him. And that. That I he think, was the guy she felt she could trust. Willie Wilkerson. Willie Wilkerson is um, in the heavens. The virus took him like so many people that we need forever. Every. Uh, you've been the smartest crowd in the world. Jennifer's been the smartest woman in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. May every page that you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that rings for you be a cool papa bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're Barry bonds. 
Be safe, stay inside, wear gloves, wear a mask. Wear rabbit ears. And wear rabbit ears. And I'm calling, calling at your name. Oh, I'm so sad. Oh, I'm so sad.